Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, Spence is flying solo and sitting down with Mitchell and Martin of the Marathon Watch Company. Welcome everybody to episode 34 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Um, I am flying solo from a hosting perspective today, but I have with me Mitchell and Martin from the Marathon Watch Company. Uh, it's a very nice alliterative group today, so welcome gentlemen. It's great to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Same here. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we typically start this uh, podcast out with a uh, a wrist check and a drink check. So, uh, Mitchell, you got you guys both, be, or Mitchell and Martin, you guys being the guest of honor. Mitchell, why don't you go ahead and start us off? <laughs> I've had a bit to drink. So, anyways, it's a Lagavulin ten year old that, yeah. Which I, I like Lagavulin because of the smokiness to it. To be honest. Okay. With you. And on a cold day, it's nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's on the wrist? I'm wearing a Marathon uh, 06 uh, Maple. It's the original, uh, the original edition of the Red Maple for the uh, automatic dive, the normal size. Excellent. Martin, what have you got? Well, I'm actually not a whiskey drinker, so I'm drinking a glass of Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've had all alcohols on this podcast. We had beer, exactly, wine, everything. Exactly. It doesn't and matter. I, I've also got the uh, 194006 on, which is the GSAR, but I've got the black anthracite version of it with the, the rubber strap, which is such a uh, beautiful watch. Yeah, so mine's yeah, a great one. That's the first time we ever put the maple on a watch was, was, I think it was around eight years ago or 10 years ago. And, uh, it, it, it was, uh, for a contract with the Canadian government and I felt there was a need for it. So I did it. And, uh, but we only made 500, but, Later on in the years, people have asked over and over, could we please do the maple again? But you know what? The red maple with a foil is something that we promised. It would only be a limited edition of 500, so we did it like that. But we did the gray maple, and that took many shades of gray of analyzing it against the black to get the right gray. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Um, it was influenced due to the fact that you could see some Canadian flags with the armed forces with gray and black. And we felt it gave people the same feeling that when they saw that emblem, they, you know, when they saw our watch, they would get the same feeling inside of them as when looking at the flag in gray and black. That so makes a lot of sense. That's why we did it. Yeah, no, those are those are both excellent timepieces. I'll round it out. I am, well, I'm drinking uh, a Pendleton blended Canadian whiskey. Figured, you know, uh, <laughs> go with a Canadian whiskey today. Um, with, uh, our friends north of the border, and then uh, I am uh, wearing. I actually wore both of these today, but you've sent you were kind enough to send us two watches to review on our website, Zeit's Watches. So those reviews will be coming uh, the same week that this uh, episode drops, hopefully. <laughs> um, and I am wearing the CSAR 46 millimeter Pilots Chronograph, which is the biggest watch I have ever worn. I have just about a seven inch wrist 
And uh, um, it to me, it doesn't wear like 46. It's actually quite comfortable. I mean, it is a very heavy piece of steel, but I love it. This thing wears on the rubber strap just wears phenomenally. Like it's, it's supremely comfortable. The bezel we were talking about before, the bezel click is just perfect. Um, chronograph, I actually timed an errand I ran today with the chronograph, you know, just, just little things. Uh, then we also have the 41 millimeter um, TSAR, the, uh, the, the quartz diver uh, version, which that one, you guys really have nailed the bezel uh, mechanics on that. On both of these, actually, the 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 grips, they're tall and they're they look like they're big blocks, and they're like, oh, am I going to be able to grip those? They're very easy to grip, so much so that my uh, my three year old actually li- loves turning both of them because his little <laughs> fingers can actually feel the detents and move it and actually get a good grip on the bezel. Um, no, I've, I've been really enjoying the time we've spent uh, with these watches. We really appreciate you uh, you sending them to us. Uh, it's it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and I know my my one co-host hasn't had a chance to see him yet, but the other uh, Buzz is a is a big fan, um, especially of the of the big boy. Um, it's just it's one of those watches you're like, wow, forty six by eighteen. How's that going to wear? And it it's really comfortable. I get it. I completely get it. Um, <laughs> so anyway. Well, I guess moving into uh, a little bit more on on the company, uh, you know, I, I know a little bit about the background of Marathon and when it was founded uh, as, uh, you know, under a slightly different name, obviously, in your in your family, Mitchell. So why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about the origination of the brand um, and then kind of how it kind of became a, uh, a known supplier uh, to both the uh, armed forces here in the U.S. and up in Canada? That's a big question. <laughs> little sections for me it's okay i'll try to remember you could coach me along so um actually my uh great grandfather was in the watch business through his son my grandfather's uncle alex my grandfather himself was born in 1891 and his oldest brother, Uncle Alex, worked the watch business out of New York, and they had another brother in Geneva, outside of Geneva, and he used to procure all the family's watches and getting the movements and having different little manufacturers make uh, the Weinstein brand. But in the 1930s, some of the brothers broke away, and my grandfather broke away in 1939, decided to, it's time for his own brand. It's hard working with family. Trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so my grandfather, who is Morris Ween, had Morris Ween Watch Limited, or, you know, uh, and uh, he constructed the Marathon brand because he thought the name Marathon was great as a watch brand. And uh, it was my uncle Meyer who actually was with my grandfather in the 30s. I think they were driving in Texas somewhere and they saw a sign at a gas station. And my uncle said to my grandfather, you know, you know what? He used to call him Pa. Uh, You know what, Pa? That would be a good name for a watch. And my grandfather said, you know what? You're right. And that's how it's going to be. So uh, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but at, but my grandfather, uh, 
built a nice business for himself in Canada. He understood the Canadian market. And, you know, like COVID, we were thrown into COVID and had to understand COVID. You know, he understood what the military market was and what the military actually needed. But, you know, our Canadian forces um, were entered into the war very early on and uh, they had to get production fast, which meant getting it from Switzerland and actually doing a lot of assembly in Montreal ourselves. He had a lot of watchmakers. They had a dozen watchmakers in Montreal, I think, at that time. And uh, they used to do final assembly there and then ship them off in cans to the Canadian government. And uh, they used to th- ship them overseas to Europe, to um, Italy, actually. That's what my father told me. Actually, he'd be interesting in an interview. But sometimes you're going to have to edit it, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know it's, it's kind of been interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's been a, a, an interest in kind of military watches uh, in, over the past, I feel like several years, a lot of the enthusiasts have kind of gotten back into um, Dirty Dozen watches and some things like that. But I understand that you all worked uh, with the armed forces during Operation Desert Storm and came out with with something that kind of met their spec uh, for the missions they were working in there. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that project? Sure, actually. You know what? I, 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 I was just out of university in that project. I remember. And uh, technology quickly changed in those days from painting tritium on the actual dial and hands as opposed to putting tubes on for illumination because Mm -hmm. tubes you're using a gas that is easier to measure in millicuries and because it's it it offers more uh brightness and less chipping off and you could control the amount of millicuries of tritium that are displayed um but we knew that we were we we the the, the government was actually excellent in planning. Uh, I I believe that operation. Why I believe that is because when they gave us the contracts, we had two side by side contracts, one with General Services Administration for a mechanical wristwatch that. Um, had, I think, uh, an accuracy of plus or minus 60 seconds in those days. And uh, the military had a similar one that had to be plus or minus 30 seconds accuracy for 24-hour period. Overall, of course, I'm not saying the average, but it has to you know, be the overall. Mm-hmm. And um, they wrote in those contracts that if in an emergency the company has to be show qualifications that you're ready for the increased production during a war. And and they were very good on it because they really did, like even though we were supplying the military for many years, the government did send inspectors to make sure that we could actually do the production if we were given the contract. And you know what? We, we did it. 
And, and, and my father sent me to Switzerland to make sure that I was in the factory, making sure all the parts were coming and that we were assembling and shipping because we were on a weekly schedule of 5,000 watches a week for mechanical wow. watches. And the watch business wasn't so good for mechanical watches in those days, but the government needs mechanical. You need that hack. No, mm -hmm. you don't need the hack. You just don't need uh, a warfighter without a, a watch because the battery died. You can't take a chance on yeah. that. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, so um, we got those contracts and we complied. And I think we delivered a great product because I remember one of the contracts said that it had to have an average lifespan of two years and the other one was five years. And we still get in our repair shop uh, watches from the 1990s that are, of course, <laughs> working. And you know what? Great. Uh, uh, why we like working with the government is because they're, they're honest people. I know a lot of people think that government is dishonest, but the people who work for government are actually honest people. And um, I'm going to throw a hot dog at my dog any minute. That's fine. So <laughs> <laughs> um, no, anyways, um, so, so, so the thing is, there's specifications. As long, you know, you, you have to show that you can actually make a product and do it right. And the lowest qualified price is always awarded to because it would be unfair to use taxpayers' money otherwise. And people mm -hmm. who work in the government aren't people like you see on the TV cameras. They're like you and me, and we're all pretty, you know, we're honest, you know. And mm -hmm. you're using, when you're using someone else's money, you have to use it even more carefully than your own. So oh, yeah. um, what happened is, though, since the two Persian Gulf Wars, there hasn't been any wars, and we realized that business was going to change as World War II did. And what my grandfather did was he went more into the clock business because the clock business in those days was, you know, pretty much volume steady. Mm -hmm. it, it was cool for telling time as well. But what he did was when times were good, he put away the money to reinvest in technology and we had small orders from the governments in those days, but we went more into, since we knew how to work on specifications, we started working with other products and it meant doing wall clocks with the, for every Canadian government office, whether it be an airport office or a, a Department of Agriculture office, those were marathon clocks. And it was really interesting. Actually, I, I, I never told the story because I took pictures. I went for a visit to the museum. But uh, there's a place called the Diefenbunker in Canada. You should check it out. It's really interesting. So what happened in the 1960s in the Cold War, people were thinking, sorry, okay. Marty's just telling me to hurry up. In the <laughs> 1960s. I think he's actually uh, showing us a clock. I'm showing you the clock. <laughs> oh, you showed me the time. <laughs> Hell. Have a drink. But anyways, in the Diefenbunker, where Parliament was to be held once Canada got hit by a nuclear bomb, this was the shelter where the government 
lived mm-hmm. and it was a secret. It was a big secret. And it's a museum now, but where Parliament sits are all marathon clocks right wow. behind. Every surgical room has a marathon clock. And w- what my grandfather did was he couldn't really compete with the big wigs like West clocks because labor was very high in Canada and other countries like that in the clock industry. So he did special clocks, clocks for hospitals, clocks for schools, clocks where people appreciated quality. And I think that's what I learned. No matter what you make, make it quality driven. And that's what we're good at. We were never good at advertising. We are never even good at putting it. I mean, you, you know, to be honest with you, we, we have very good watches. Our watches are sometimes $500, but it still comes in the cardboard box the same as the government will receive. And, you know, we don't expect the customer to pay for that. And we also expect the customer to use the watch. Why are you buying a watch if you don't want to tell the time? It's not, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Um, no, you, you were talking a little bit about um, the contracts that you guys get from the various government agencies, you know, the military, the um, general services administration. So when, when you guys end up with a contract like that, how much freedom do you all have in the design process um, to deliver a product or does it have to meet a very specific spec or does it depend on the contract? Okay. So even to be authorized to bid on a contract, I'm not saying our watches in particular, but our watches are a good example. Um, Another, you know, used to even be hole punchers with the Canadian government. You could not bid on, on a solicitation unless you were pre-qualified, which means, I remember when we had to go to a new specification for the watches. We went from GGW 113 to 46374F. I know you think I'm a moron because I actually <laughs> didn't remember the moron. I've known them for 30 years. It's important so, to you guys. I get that. <laughs> so anyways, um, my father had to retest all our production watches that were going to be the new GPM. And we had to retool, and to make it light enough, we had to invest a lot in a special fiber movement that would allow fiberglass to be injected in. It was just, my father had to invest such a lot of money that we actually didn't have so much of in those days, because those days were hard, Um, and invested in our tooling and making a quality product because he knew once we passed the testing, the only hard part is doing the pricing. Mm-hmm. And because we actually don't go through a distribution network per to the government, to the government, we sell directly because we have to make sure everything is A1. We can't have any intermediaries because we have our own labs as well. And uh, we have made sure that, uh, what, what could I say? That... Uh, we provided stuff that is pre-qualified and pre-tested as anybody else would. There's a specification. You have to do the testing. Some tests you can't, you have to do them out of house, of course, but some there, I knew there was a special test we had to do for shock test with our Navy wall clocks. We do clocks for the U S Navy. Um, and, uh, it had to be brought to Princeton or MIT where they had a pendulum that, swung the clock right across the room. And the most important thing about 
that cloth not exploding was no parts would come out and fly off and hurt someone. Because, you know, yeah. when a submarine is impacted, things could go flying and become projectiles. So the clock never disconnected from the pendulum, which was a wow. good thing. And no parts came out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. That's, a, that's a pretty, that's a much tougher clock than I would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> boring for your audience. Oh, uh, no, not at all. That's that, yeah. that, the type of testing that, that these products I'm sure go through is, is, unbelievable i mean just with what what they're qualified to do like you said you know you think of a wall clock being on a on a battleship or or, or in a submarine and then you're like oh well it probably there's probably some other state like you walking us through that is like oh i never thought about that but it makes you know, uh, it makes perfect sense these days though there are machines that do it these days yeah i don't know who which lab has that machine but i'm yeah. sure there are yeah. But it's just, it's, it's something you don't think about as you're, you know, I, I have, you know, I have a clock on my wall that is all glass. Like that would not pass that standard by any means, but it's like, you think you know, like I, I didn't purchase that clock to go in a submarine. It's a quartz wall clock from target that my wife liked. So it's just hanging in our kitchen. You're right. Um, and it, yeah. You know, what, at marathon, actually, that's why we don't use glass on our clock lenses. There's not one clock. We use Actually, we use uh, high quality. I can't remember the quality of acrylic we use, but I think it's 3M, and it's excellent. I know there are navy clocks are made with 3M, a special type of acrylic. I can't, I can't remember the actual brand, but you know. But it's, it's because it won't shatter, correct? It would shatter. You know, you don't want the clock falling and then exactly. the glass on the ground and your dog comes by. <laughs> but, but just also to speak to the testing marathon, we do have our own lab in Pennsylvania. So okay. we do actually send a percentage of our watches with tritium to the lab first, and then they go from the lab to the, to the, whoever's purchasing the watches from the government. Yeah. There's three stages of testing. Yeah. The first testing is after assembly and the testing before assembly is inspection, of course, but, and once the watch is made, it's a, a long-term test before they ship. And then we do qualification testing in Canada final, and then it gets shipped all over the world from Canada. Of course, uh, there's exceptions to that, but, that that's special military contracts, perhaps from other countries, it might be more advantageous to keep it within mm-hmm. Europe. No, that makes sense. Um, I guess the, some of the other questions that that we we had, I'm just kind of curious. Um, you know, obviously, it seems like the majority of your customers are these government entities. Um, so who are who are your typical end users then? So I mean, let's you know if, if the government's supplying these to military units, what type of units are getting these watches, and what are what are, what kind of what kind of environments are they are they uh, living in on a daily basis? Well, there's three different types, to be honest with you, and that's why I didn't realize people said, well, you have to divide the collection because now people are finding out about our watches and they want to buy them. And people don't know NSNs, which is how we identify our products. And what we decided was to 
just divided under the three different uh, ways a watch is used. It's either used on land, like a surface watch, mm-hmm. which you are a combat person and need to have the exact time, especially if you're syncing a watch to uh, you're hacking, you know, you have 12 people in your unit, mm-hmm. you're hacking your watches, each person's in their own cave. And you know what, at 12.35 and 15 seconds, we're all coming out loaded. And, and, and you can't do that unless your eyes are adjusted to your watch and your watch mm. better work. Oh yeah. And uh, then, so that's the soldier. And then we have the navigator, which is a flight operations watch. And that came from, I think it was Kelly Air Force Base. They approached my dad and what they wanted was an electric watch. I remember that. I, you know, they wanted an electric watch, but not one of the old fashioned electric watches, you know, like the Boulevard Etron or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It was the first generation of courts. And I remember we used to have a special movement. My father got this movement from a company called Harley, which is then bought over by Rhonda. Mm-hmm. It was a small operation. They started making quartz movements. And uh, with Jean-Marie, our head watchmaker, who's still our head watchmaker, um, came up with the right design that would allow for the soldier to actually change his own battery with the oh, wow. battery hatch. we did the battery hatch and uh that was the 12 hour uh turning bezel because there's many reasons you could use it for but you you keep it on gmt if you want and you could use it as a time zone so you could know baghdad time or what or richmond you know what i mean mm-hmm. you, oh yeah you could have you're, you could have your home time on your dial set to Richmond and Baghdad on your exterior. But also what's good about that watch was there was a lot of uh, aircraft uh, that had dual tanks in the wings. And it was a good reminder of exactly when the hour started, when to actually change the lever to taken fuel from the right wing or the left wing to keep the plane always balanced off. See, time is a very important thing. Oh, yeah. this, you know, thing for the Harrier aircraft. And what that was, was it was a 12 hour timer, but it was because if anything, if everything fails electronically in that aircraft, at least, you know, if you've been in flight for one hour, how much fuel you you've used. Mm-hmm. It's oh, the yeah. last mechanical thing you got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, we the enthusiasts. Like, you know, I think James Stacy from Hodinkee's talked about it quite a bit. The the twelve hour bezel, you can do so many things with that. Not just like you said, the hour markers or keeping track of two different time zones. You can also, to a degree, use it as sort of a dive bezel just to keep track of elapsed time. I mean, it has so many functions with just that twelve hour external bezel. I can see so like like you just described three other applications that I would obviously not having any military experience would have ever thought of, but it makes a lot of sense that you have the the twelve hour timing bezel 
on a watch that has so many different applications. So, so, so coming to that, we have to understand also about what the military means now. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I actually have a lot of friends in different militaries, very nice, you know, and how, how military is working is there's a lot of, they have a lot of extremely intelligent people now working in the military because they have to know how to go through computer systems or access foreign, foreign states, you know, and do what they need to do to stop an invasion of uh, a virus through the internet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And different things like that. I know it sounds James Bondish, but that, that is, and you know, these guys have to keep accurate time. And you know what, when they're in stations, looking on cameras that room is really dark and it's nice to have a civilian watch a government and what we what the nice thing is with our military technology i haven't let it go to waste we have machines that cut wheels from the 1930s we still use we're not letting them go to waste and i'm not going to let our technology even though we don't sell the military doesn't need so many you know, general warfare watches, they do need watches for people that are working in engineering, working in the, you know, Department of Agriculture. Timing is very important, especially in departments like forestry and, you know, and uh, that's, uh, I think that's one thing Marathon offers that perhaps it's hard for other people to because, we we in, we invested in making robust products. That 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 had me spec. Um, to continue on, sorry about that. Then we have the dive watch, and the dive watch is a new product from Marathon. Well, fairly new. My father didn't do many dive watches until the nineteen eighties, so we started doing our dive watches in the eighties. Um, generally, the Canadian government bought Rolexes, um, which met the requirements for our search and rescue divers. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt that, you know, I can't believe they they were using that style of a watch uh, for diving um, because it was, I, I felt... Rolex had other actual styles that would have been better, but um, we, we, as a Canadian company, I really felt I could save the Canadian government a lot of money with a lot of taxpayers' money, including mine. And uh, I was able to do it for much less than Rolex and perform the same duties in, in accordance with that specification. And, uh, we, we actually uh, saved the government lots of money and they ended up buying for years and years from us and they still do. Um, but we were not actually using a case that was designed by us. We bought a stock case from a company that was in Switzerland that actually uh, was a case company. Mm-hmm. I wanted to come up with our own design and the opportunity came when the tooling broke. you know we have to do our own design and make our own tooling there's participation in that tooling we have to 
it's going to cost money. And he didn't, you know, they like make it simple. Like, you know, he was afraid and uh, it was a lot of money, but I bit the bullet. I had some friends in the military and we hung out and I talked about it. I said, you know, you know about the watch I make for the dive watch and what don't you like about it? I have to know what, if I'm going to design something, it has to sell and it has to sell somewhere else than just the military. Because in those days, the military was only buying 50 watches, 100 watches at a time of the dive watches. And, you know, it was low production run. So it cost me mm. a lot for the parts. And uh, they told me, all, all of them, it's like, the bezels, they're lousy. You can't turn them, you know? <laughs> you know, it's cold. We're, we're diving in these freezing cold water. We have gloves on. We They couldn't turn the bezel because it was too thin. And so I figured, you know what? Really, you know what? If these guys are happy, maybe other militaries will buy. I redesigned it with the notches and made it high, and the mesh gloves fit right into there. And I actually like the sound, but we can never get the sound the same on... There's so many different sounds coming from so many different watches, but they all have that general click, click. It, I'm sure, uh, you know, it's slightly different. And uh, that was the claim to fame to that. And another claim to fame to that was that we use solid body steel to generate the water resistance and the structure of it using so much steel. So, you know, that's a big reason why it's so heavy. We had to use a lot of steel to do that. And what I learned, and now a lot of companies copied me, but I'm going to tell you I'm the original one. I used <laughs> because we used, the, I, I actually had a friend, and I actually just got in contact with him again after so many years, called Rich Andrews, and he's a watch collector. And he said to me, Mitch, forget about the normal crown. We're doing a screw-in crown. He said, make it knurled because you do that on your clocks. So you have anti-slipping. And I thought to myself, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know, we did it for the clocks, our submarine clocks and our navigational clocks. So, you know, when you're out on the deck, you could turn it. And uh, I did that. I uh, well, I personally didn't do that, but I asked. <laughs> you made and we did. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened there. So, uh, and, and those are really the three classes. I mean, we have different uh, other items that are specialties. We do a bilingual day date watch, which is really, really beautiful. And we do it in different combinations, such as English. We, well, we do it in English and French for mm-hmm. Canada, of course. And uh, we have uh, contracts, I had a contract with, uh, Yamam forces and uh, they take it in English and uh, Hebrew so that's an interesting uh, tidbit of information oh yeah and the, it's, it's really quite a beautiful watch oh it is no I was looking at that you guys sent us a catalog and I was looking at all the rest of the pieces and it, they're they're you can tell they're all they all share the same design ethos but they're they're definitely each one's a little bit different and that's it's the little little details that kind of kind of make it up um but yes, no, the, the, the solid steel case design for the water resistance. I, uh, when you guys sent the watches a couple of weeks ago and I took, um, uh, the chronograph out of the box, 
I was wearing, uh, I have an Omega Seamaster 300M, the, the James Bond watch. Right. I was wearing that one and I had it on its bracelet and I picked, I had that one on and I took it off and I picked the chronograph up and this is a chronograph on a rubber strap and it weighed more than my steel Omega on its full steel bracelet. I was like, this thing, it just, it felt, it, it's heavy, but it wears so well. It was one of those where I was like, this thing is solid. <laughs> like, like solid. this is one of those, you can jump out it of, a, like, it, you can jump out of a helicopter and nail the helicopter on yeah. the way down and it, your arm might be broken, but the watch would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play a lot of drywall with these notches in them in my house. Okay. <laughs> no, it's just it, the, the, hearing you say solid steel. I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I, I completely, I can completely get that. Um, a lot of companies, guess, they, they, fold, not companies, but a lot of people use fold, folded steel, but not, 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 not uh, a proper company wouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. I'm just going through some of the questions that Buzz emailed me. Um, so the, the tritium vials that you all use, is that part of the, the government spec to use tritium because it doesn't require any charging and gives off light for the better part of a decade without going too dim? Is that is that part of the, the contract and why you all use tritium? Yeah, it, yeah, it has a half-life of 12 and a half years. And uh, that's the recommended when you could... Uh, replace the watches but the government replaces it okay. more often um so do you all end up do you all end up with people who say well i've had this watch for 12 years and, the, and it's going dim can you guys do a redial for me do you guys get those into your service center yes we do and actually we're it, it's funny because now we have watches like yeah a lot of people have their original watches that were issued to them so many people and they want it they want to freshen it up but they also don't want to harm the uh the you know the nicks and everything oh yeah you know what I mean? the life of it because mm -hmm. it's sentimental mm -hmm. it's it's like a photograph you know especially if it was someone else's or it, it just reminds you of the years you know with your buddies Oh yeah, you no. Know. I mean that that makes perfect sense. It, it seems that, that we, it, we are doing that. We are thinking it. We are we are going to be doing that. We're going to offer a package, a special service package, and we offer special uh, service discounts, which are great now too. You know. Yeah. We owe a lot. You know, we owe a lot to these people. Oh, definitely. My military. I mean. My nephew is in the military, Noah, and uh, <laughs> um, you know it's it's important. Mm. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a different type of watch business than uh, other watch businesses because we don't sell our watches in jewelry stores or many jewelry stores. It's it's it's, it's you know our watches we could it's a, it's, it's a tool. It's a tool watch. Mm -hmm. It's not really a jewel watch i mean i think our watches are nice and i like wearing it whether i'm wearing a suit or not you know but i i collect watches as well and i do like wearing other brands of watches because it's interesting I, I i i like collecting i like collecting stamps i like collecting coins i like doing you know organizing oh, yeah. different stuff stuff it, it, it's great stuff and actually i should be collecting whiskey yes 
because it's dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Uh... It's funny. I, I joke with some of my friends. We live, like I said, from my office, when I was going into my office, I can see Kentucky. Like it's just across the river. Um, and I'm not even that high up in our building. I'm only on the fifth floor and I can see, you know, from downtown to Kentucky. So it's right there, which is where a lot of the bourbon in the United yeah. States is is made at all the different distilleries. And you would be surprised at what I can and can't find where I, you know, and the funny thing is I could just drive an hour and 20 minutes from my house to that distillery to get it from them directly if they have what I want in stock, but I can't find it here in Ohio. But then I go to my hometown in Indiana and they've got cases of it. It's on sale. It just, it makes you wonder how it ends up, where it ends up. Um, the whiskey part of it. It's the same uh, thing here in Canada. It's all by the province. You could have it in one province. And if you, the other side of the streets in another province, you're not getting it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's interesting. Um, no, I guess, um, so you said a lot of the a lot of the folks who are you know kind of your not I want to say customers because the government is they they end up keeping the watches they are issued then correct? It's all the discretion of the issuing government it has nothing okay. to do with us, and, and I don't ask those questions. Okay, the questions you don't ask, and yep. you don't have to ask. We also, you know, we're given you know. What what people say? Oh, what operations are happening? I said I don't know, and we're not privy, and we shouldn't be privy, right? You know, <laughs> to any of that information. I, I wouldn't want to know that, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, with Desert Storm, I with Desert Storm, I, I was working night and day in Switzerland to make sure production was happening, and I was just thrown into it. Uh, before the first deliveries we had to prepare and uh, we had to be on time. And that meant every production of every day, Jean-Marie, I I used to start work really early around six o'clock, but I didn't finish till three o'clock in the morning because as soon as production was finished at four o'clock, we had to do the short-term testing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and in those days, we used to use aquariums filled with, uh, like, salt fog. We simulated salt fog. We did all these crazy tests, the magnetism machines. But we were doing the testing at night to make sure we could make the the truck that was going to pick up the delivery and bring it to the airport to bring it on time. So uh, it's a lot of logistics, but I learned a lot. I typed a lot of reports. <laughs> and uh you know i think everything in life is uh a learn no matter how oh, yeah. you are you know, that's yeah. why uh, i'm always wanting to learn new things so a couple of things we talked about a little bit before we started recording um and you've, you've got your three lines what is what what can we expect uh next from you all are there any new designs coming any any new enhancements to any of the of the product lines anything uh, exciting that you're able to share with us. Okay. Um, with our lineup, what's what's going to be coming up and what we're working on, a, a lot of that, see, the, the only things that we have kept on track are certain government projects. But other things due to the COVID crisis, 
every factory, including us, had to close, even EDA closed. And mm-hmm. uh, that was it. But uh, still we were able to do our designs and drawing. Um, I was in Switzerland in January and we did a lot of sketches of our new strap line. Okay. It's going to be a consistent rubber strap line. And it's going to be produced not just in Switzerland, but in our town, which is Le Chaux de Fin, which is, you know, uh, oh, yeah. making town in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. It is the watchmaking town. We have the International Museum. And uh, we're going to be making a strap that uh, will keep all rubber straps on the dive watches consistent. The design will be non-slip, uh, absolutely non-slip proof, but it'll be also of a uh, very nice length for large-wristed uh, people to smaller-wristed people, okay? And uh, the, the, the medium uh, watch will also have this new rubber strap. And I think that it'll be easier for uh military personnel with that size wrist to actually have a, a dive watch that you could use. You know, the last thing you want is a huge dive watch that eats into your uniform if you have a small, smaller uniform, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that, that's it. So uh, that, that's a great thing that we're doing. What else do you want to talk about, Marty? Anything new that's not top secret? The black anthracite bracelet is coming very soon. The black anthracite bracelet. So everybody's asking, okay, want me to make it clear on this station? Uh, (laughs) Everybody's asking why we didn't release the black anthracite bracelet when we released the (laughs) black anthracite watch. The reason why the watch was necessary uh, for non-reflection and dress and it took quite a few years to get that treatment on a solid lug Mm -hmm. it's a scratch scratch resistance and it's i i think the best that i've seen on the market and there's a whole process of doing it and we launched the watch first to get into the market because the bracelets had to be coded link by link and to be honest with you, we had a production run of 500 and we went through our testing process and we failed our own testing. Oh, wow. So we had to react it and we had to swallow it and we actually had to destroy 500 bracelets. Wow. Because I wasn't going to put it on the market because I don't think it's good for a brand to not test a product and put it out to market. I hate that when car companies do it. Don't test out a new car on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So um, we re-engineered it. And the only way to do it to the quality we want is we actually have to hand make it and hand assemble each link to make it in the bracelet. And the only way to guarantee it was to redesign the whole clasp and it's really a nice clasp and uh we're going to be able to make a few hundred 
and uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be slow on that production. So it's really a first come, first serve because uh, we have to make sure it's perfect. I don't want to destroy any more uh, watch bracelets. Yeah, right? yeah <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that you don't want to keep eating that cost, but that's no, that's actually no. pretty fascinating. The, the, how that how that process kind of works. That's why sometimes things cost a lot because it takes a lot of time to make it, mm-hmm. especially if you're hand doing something. Some people forget that, you know, that there's actual people who are in factories like you and me working and feeding their families and they deserve to be there. They deserve to get a fair salary. Everybody deserves that, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, Marathon employees, mar- the Marathon company, where we're like a team and we help each other, you know. It's not that hierarchy. We all pitch in. And we all de- respect each other and our families. So, um, no, I, I get and- that from talking with, with you, with, with Martin, with, with the, the marketing team that put me in touch with you. It's It's been... It's been a very, very pleasurable experience for me, a little, a little outsider, not for, to the marathon family, but a little watch enthusiast from Cincinnati, Ohio, actually getting able to, uh, to spend some time with you all. Um, it's been, you know, you can tell that it's, it's obviously Mark or, uh, obviously Mitchell, it's in your family, it's your family's business, but it seems like everybody really cares about, about what they're doing. So it really speaks to, to what you're talking about. And I'm really, now I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that black anthracite bracelet. <laughs> beautiful it's really nice i'm going to tell you we we had to really make invest a lot more money than i would ever imagine but it was worth it there is there is one other new item that we have a lot of requests for that we hope to have out before the christmas season and that is the uh GSAR, the 006 watch with a white, uh, an Arctic version of it. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, that we hope to have. Uh, that's also in the works very actively. Yeah, the white dial. Yeah. Which is great for daytime functions. Oh, yeah. If you're, you're, if you're combat in daytime, sometimes it's, it stands out quite. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, you know, it's interesting. When you, when you look at the white dial, you see it's, it's, it's actually a bit easier to make a white dial when you're doing quality control, the visual quality control. Mm-hmm. Because if there's one little piece of dust and it could be sitting underneath the dial, when you case up that watch, it could fall off the bottom of a, of a hand and end up on the dial later when it's being transported, then you see that white so easy to see is it's it's very noticeable defects on a, mm-hmm. the smallest inclusion on a black dial but a white dial um it seems that the numbers are bigger but it's an optical illusion because we made them exactly the same size <laughs> <laughs> it's an optical illusion mm-hmm. that's interesting i've never noticed that actually but that does, I mean, that makes, that makes yeah, sense. Although, I, I, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, so that's, yeah, so you're going to be doing the white G-Star, which I'm happy about. I, li- I like my white answer very much, though. It's 
my favorite, one of my favorites right now. <laughs> so I wear it with a steel bracelet. I find it just so comfortable, especially when I'm, uh, you know, running uh, with my dog or doing something that I don't want the weight on, but I want to be able to see the time fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm always washing my hands and it's nice having a steel, complete steel watch, which is always dry and clean. Oh yeah. Well, and waterproof to farther than I'll ever go down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> don't have to worry about uh, washing your hands in any of those dive watches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting thing, you know, uh, in search and rescue, you know, they've uh, taken uh, watches down, but they, you put on the arm of one of the submersible uh, submarines just on the outside of it mm-hmm. for reference time or whatever, but it, it does go down. It just doesn't go on a human or humans in special yeah. gear. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, that's – it's uh... – it's pretty neat that these things can survive. I mean, I, I can't remember what article it was reading, but I think one of our one of my friends wrote an article for our, for our site on certain certain timepieces. You're like, this thing will survive most things that your wrist won't. Um, <laughs> that you're putting, yeah. if you're strapping on an instrument or a tool that is designed to withstand more than your body can, which is is kind of unbelievable to think mm-hmm. about the, the standards that that some of these these tool watches are manufactured to. Which is, uh, it makes you feel confident when you put it on. Like I said, I, I feel like, like I said, not that I would ever jump out of a helicopter, but I feel like that's what this watch is designed to do. And it feels completely <laughs> up to the task, uh, even though I am not. <laughs> um, but no, I... And you know what? Yeah. Really good. That watch that you're wearing, that chronograph, mm-hmm. it is really good for a parachute. For oh, a parachute I bet. Yeah. Shot. It yeah. really is. You could, it, because it's the uh, 7750, mm-hmm. uh, you could actually time up to 12 hours, but your drop might only be a certain amount of minutes, but you'll have the one fifth of a second there. Oh yeah. And also no. we, have, we have decimal minutes on that. That watch, we made sure we had decimal minutes. So it's easier to write a lot, uh, flight report with. I was wondering about that. Minutes. Yeah. The, the, uh, hundred because not everybody has a calculator. When I designed the watch, not who has a calculator on them, and the iPhone wasn't around. Right. So, yeah. Figure out decimal minutes right on a dial. Perfect. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that the the hundred scale on the on the Riho, and it, that that's that's interesting that that's what that is. That's uh that's great. It makes sense now. <laughs> Um, what do you think of that watch in white? Would that watch work in white? Ooh, I mean, it probably. I, 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 How would you do the Riho on that? Would it would the would the Riho with the decimal minutes still be black? No, it would have to be in white. Okay, so the whole thing would have to be in white then. Other than would I would assume the bezel insert would still be black, on like well, on your Arctic version. Yeah, but you know what? We could do, we could actually see about it. But uh, uh, people were asking. I'm not comfortable with it, to be honest with you. I mean, it it works so well in Kevin, black. That's one, that's one I don't want to, you know, we haven't changed anything. I mean, we, we uh, may be getting a request from a special government to get 
this watch on or this special government agency I know that my team is working with. Um, so then I would do what they would need us to do mm-hmm. for whatever reason they need to be. You know, so if they need a navy blue dial, we'll do a navy blue dial. If it's a green dial, it's a green dial. I can see those colors working really well <laughs> on this watch. Yeah. I, I always like midnight blue or navy blue. Yeah, as a dial color. Yeah, yeah. The I think the white could work because I'm, tr- but I'm trying to imagine what the black numerals would look like in the black hand because obviously this would it'd be the inverse. I, I think it could work in white. I don't see why it couldn't. Uh, you know. I'm actually working on drawings. I'm asking for a sample to be made. I'll send you a picture. How about yeah, that? That would be great. <laughs> I would love to see what it looks like. In and that's the nice thing with, with, with drawing is you can do a drawing and you don't have to actually make a prototype yet. You can say, ah, let's see how this looks visually. And then go from there. You always make prototypes because you never know. Something might look good on paper, but... In real life, especially with the watch, it's like even the way the light hits that dial or mm-hmm. the depth. You can imagine the depth, but I, I, I really, uh, yeah, we're going to go all the way and make a sample dial on it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Get hands and we're going to check it out and see what kind of configurations we could do. It looks, I mean, it could, now I, I know it probably wouldn't work to government spec, but I could see a panda or a reverse panda looking really good, <laughs> you know, with the two, the, with a, a black dial with white sub dials or a white dial with black sub dials. I know you guys, depending on what the spec would be, I don't know that that would actually work, but from a, from a collector's perspective, that would look yeah. great. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, no, I, uh, you know, I, I I appreciate you all taking the time to to chat with us. Um, I'm gonna really look forward to seeing the uh, the drawing of that white uh, the white chronograph because that that's got me really excited. And then obviously the black anthracite bracelet. Um, real quick, uh, just where can any 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 of our listeners who uh, listen to the podcast uh, uh, just tell us your website where we can find you guys? And then I think you guys also have a, an Instagram handle as well, which you guys are, are decently active. Uh, your marketing team has gotten gotten pretty active on that as well. Tell us where we can find uh, the brand on, uh, on the website. Uh, Marty, you can answer that. Hello, it's marathonwatch.com. Excellent. And, uh, you can buy directly from the Marathon site, but we also have some uh, fantastic partners, authorized dealers, and there's a where to buy section there. And uh, a lot of those dealers you can buy uh, they sell in turn online, so it doesn't necessarily matter where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of dealers that we now have that have uh, a physical store. If somebody wants to actually go and see the watch before mm-hmm. buying it, um, such as Arizona Fine Time in Scottsdale just started uh, selling our watches. Uh, there's a small little store in Montana called Last Windup that has a, that sells our watches. So there's some niche niche places to buy them. And uh, there's Long Island Watch, Windy City Watch. Uh, Windy City Watch is there, it's online, but they're based in Ohio. Okay. Uh, not, uh, not too far from you, but there's some fantastic partners. And uh, for those people that may be listening around the world, uh, there's a store in Singapore, Nomon Watches, uh that you can buy from 
Uh, we just opened a store in Czechoslovakia, in Prague, called Chrono Shop. So we're all over the world, but they're all listed on our website. Australia, Australia just started. And Australia, just uh, there's somebody there uh, that's also now selling our watches. No. Um, so there's uh, right across the world. That's that's fantastic. And and given uh, where the, your watches end up, it, it, it makes perfect sense that you guys would have retail partners everywhere because it seems like these watches have been uh, probably on every continent with different military operations and government services. So uh, yeah. it's definitely a tool watch, definitely up to the task. And I've really enjoyed, like I said, wearing both of these uh, in, in the couple weeks we've had them. And we really appreciate you guys being uh, willing to come on the show and, and chat with me uh, for some time about this. This has been very, very educational, very, you know, very eye-opening for me because uh, this is a whole different side of the industry that I feel like enthusiasts don't really get exposed to. And it's it's fascinating. You guys have a phenomenal history, um, you know, in, in Mitchell's family, just just everything that goes along with this. Like you, you can tell that it's it's a very family run operation. Everybody's been fantastic to work with to set up this interview. Uh, getting the watches, they're like I said, they're definitely like you said, they're definitely tool watches. They're up to the task. They're they're supposed to be out there in the field doing their job, and they definitely seem up to it. So uh, we really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much uh, for chatting with me today. Oh, thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitzwatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T-Z. Thank you.